Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode 145 and I am your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we are here bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices and to help us out as we spend Christmas time in a cold and dark uh, and grim Tokyo is indie comic creator Fef Silvers. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we last spoke to Fef. Well, actually, we spoke at Thought Bubble, right? But on the podcast, we last spoke when you did an interview episode with us on episode 94, which people can check out in the show notes, get to know a bit more about Fef. Also with us is another returning guest cosplayer, Izzy Kento. Izzy, also welcome back to you. Yay, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had a chat the beginning of the year. Well, we didn't chat. Well, we did, but it was more Tazzy with the Cosplay and Creativity Roundtable. I was in the back (laughs) making sure the live stream didn't fall apart, which it did not. (laughs) Yeah. So Good work. Thank you. Um, we're, we're learning, slowly learning, like this whole live stream thing. So, uh, yeah, thank you both for joining us again. And for the listeners, you can subscribe to Story X Story wherever you get your podcast from, except Deezer, because we haven't put it on there yet. That That's coming. But everywhere else. And you can also send us your feedback to feedback at mymatter.com. Send us questions too. I always like getting questions when we do get them. You can throw them at us on social media as well. We are at mymatter on Twitter, at mymattertv on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. We also have a Discord. We have our Studio 77 Discord which you can join, jump in, be part of the Mind Matter universe, meet others in the community. And we're working on a coming membership for Studio 77, which will house our growing collection of recorded uh, shows across interviews, comic interviews, video game interviews, uh, gameplay uh, sessions. We're going to throw in some digital comic illustration content as well and mix in some event bonus stuff too. So it's going to be coming later in the year. Stay tuned for that. We'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks and months. But before we get to today's story discussion, let's update you with all the latest from the My Matter universe. And we are in the, I feel we're in a busy period, or it always feels busy, but particularly busy because we've been doing events and we've got more events to come. We've also got manga projects. That's one of the things that we want to make more of in general this year. So we are starting with a new Kickstarter. If you have been following us for any length of time, you would have heard us talk about this. It has been in the works for a while. It's inching closer to uh, an actual launch. And we are preparing the Kickstarter campaign for the Tazzy origin story, which features Tazzy and her origins, or at least the origins of how her character got to the My Matter universe. So if you've also been following us you for any length of time, you would have known, I think Tazzy has a birthday this month. I believe that's yep. come up few times <laughs> so we're gonna time it all in line with that so later this month you'll be able to check out the kickstarter preview page and then we'll launch soon after that we're also attending events as i mentioned so we've got our own events we're also attending events we just did london comic-con we went to the milton Keynes film and comic-con we are going to be at the south london comic and zine fair in july on the 16th you can catch us there see our comics talk to the people in the brand, and we'll keep you updated on the Kickstarter when it's ready. 
speaking of events, we have our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game campaign that we launched last year and are now making a yearly initiative to promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. So we're going to be building on the work that we did uh, this year or last year and bringing more events. So we've got a new snapshot of the 40 players and makers that we did early in the year and launched the campaign with. We did our launch live stream and now we're looking to the in-person events all with the aim of highlighting the representation that does exist today as a way to inspire more of it in future generations of diverse talent. So some of those events that we can announce now, we have our Family Games Design Jam on Saturday, the 24th of June. We'll be at Arc Club in Hackney, which is a nice co-working space that has different locations around London. So we're going to be in their Hackney location, inviting young creators, parents, aspiring professionals, people just like tabletop games or arts and crafts. So they can come work together to make games and tabletop games specifically. So we're talking dice, card, paper, pens, that kind of thing. But with the aim of learning those key design principles that also apply in video games. Then later in July, we're going to be at Develop Brighton, which is a developer conference for the games industry here in the UK in the south near the coast or on the coast, literally on the coast Brian is. And Tazzy and I will be talking about creating genuine diversity in video game narratives. So we are going to be in a round table, inviting people to come talk about how we can make better and more inclusive games in the stories that we tell with the medium. So that should be fun. Never been to develop before and we're getting all sorts of advice on places to go, who to see, where to eat, that kind of thing. So should be interesting. And then later in July, we have on the 15th of July, our Cupcake and Gamepad Social. So this is our networking event with the aim of helping young people and aspiring professionals to gain valuable networking experience through the power of video games and desserts. So lots of cupcakes, lots of games, lots of chances to meet people who are trying to do the same thing as you, meet people who are in the industry and just have a good time playing games. So the links to all those will be on our website, looklikeagamer.com. We'll also drop links to each individual event. If you're interested in coming along, you can get a ticket. The events as part of the campaign are free, thanks to sponsorship from Rocksteady Studios. So they're allowing us to put on these events for free and uh, just lower that barrier for people to get involved. We also have some Studio 77 activities. So we had our June comic casual conversations with comic creators episode. So I spoke with French DC and Marvel comic artist Joffo, and that episode will be on Twitch VOT for 14 days. So do the maths. It was on June 7th. Uh, put that as the 21st of June, I think, somewhere around there. And then we'll be putting highlights on YouTube and then full episode on our Studio 77 membership platform when that comes up. We're also planning to play games as well. So on the 22nd of June, we're going to be playing Kart Rider Drift, which is a game I only heard of when Tazzy mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. And that is how we do our games nights. <laughs> I know nothing else. I'm just going to jump in, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I'd only heard of it like, I don't know, maybe that same day. So I think <laughs> it's going to be new to everyone. <laughs> okay. And it's going to be chaos. I think that's the that's the overriding theme of our games night. So come and check it out. We play games with our community each month, usually towards the end of the month. Sometimes the date shifts, but just follow us online, follow us on Twitch and you'll get the latest. And you can check out past games night highlights on our YouTube channel. 
so you can see some of the chaos uh, in action. And if you are a young or aspiring creative professional or you know one, then you can check out our showrunners work experience and personal development program. So we are creating work experience opportunities for young people age 16 and up to work with our team across comic, video games and content creation, giving that key experience and first steps into creative industry. So you can email us at hello at mymatter.com to find out more. So now you're all caught up with the My Matter universe. Let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week. So this is a chance for us to have a spoiler-free discussion about stories that everyone have has been reading, watching, or playing. And as always, we will start with our guests. Um, Feth, do you want to go first? Yeah, so recently I've just been doing a lot of reading. I have basically will start with one that is probably a bit out of left field, but I decided to start reading gothic novels and started with a classic first gothic novel called The Castle of Otranto. Um, it blends sort of medieval Italy with a hint of supernatural horror and follows the downfall of an Italian prince called Manfred in this family that begins when his sickly son is crushed by a giant helmet that falls from the sky on the day of the son's wedding. In true gothic style, it is Manfred's own actions that lead to his downfall as he cling tries to cling on for power. But the reason why I think it's particularly fitting is a lot of the characters have coincidental relationships, which I think was very relevant to our main story for today. On a more kind of modern take, I suppose, I recently enjoyed reading the comic The Hourglass by Barbara Mazzi, which I found through last year's Short Box Festival. It's a wholesome sci-fi style romance story about two women in a society where if you have the money or power or your sort of import into that society you can extend your life through this sort of magic sand that is almost injected into people using this machine called the hourglass so it follows mostly follows a very rich girl called martel who was first given like the sand in her teens and another woman called 20 who is actually an apprentice engineer that works on the hourglass sort of kind of different stories um but it's very beautifully illustrated it's wonderfully well written i basically just basically powered through it all in one sink because i didn't want any of it to end and the castle of otranto as well is just despite its age is actually quite a very catchy um very gripping gothic novel it like you're really trying to um add culture to to us here <laughs> Uh, story exorian our audience yeah, i feel smarter already <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm trying to add culture to myself as well just <laughs> trying to catch up on the classics i mean you've sold it to me i love a good like intertwining relationships like how do they link together uh, it's one of my favorite like story devices oh uh, you will love the castle of our tranter then because one of the characters is sort of introduced as just some random peasant who's there to almost annoy the prince manfred but i won't say anything more because <laughs> it's all spoilers from there 
No, I really, really um, appreciate those recommendations because really that's what this section is about. Uh, recommendations for me and Nigel. <laughs> that is, is very true. <laughs> very true. Izzy, what about you? What stories have you been playing, reading or watching? So, yeah, I, my laptop died, so I have not been playing anything, but I was enjoying Honkai Star Rail. Uh, I was saying earlier, it's basically the creators of Genshin made Honkai, and a lot of people have compared it to Persona because it's a turn-based game. I have not played Persona, so I cannot say whether it is or it isn't, but so many people have been saying it, so I guess it's true. Watching, I've been watching Demon Slayer, the latest season. It's amazing. If y'all have not tuned in yet, please, please, please do yourselves a favor and tune into Demon Slayer. I have watched the first season. Oh my gosh, that's it? Up. Yeah, that that's well, that's it so far. That right, there's still hope. Oh, <laughs> Demon Slayer is on my list. I haven't got to it yet, but every time it comes up i'm like i really need to like watch it <laughs> i read oh, it great yeah <laughs> the anime just really expanded a lot from the manga so the anime is totally the way to go the animation is just really crisp stories you know like i really appreciate getting backstories and having them like fully flesh out characters and not just main characters but you know, like the the demons, like they all have. Oh my gosh, it makes me cry! Like every single time, one of the demons has like their little backstories. I'm like, no, like you're bad, but like also no. <laughs> so yeah, Demon Slayer is is top recommendation. And reading One Piece, y'all remember I'm a huge One Piece fan. So I'm still on it. I'm still on my journey. <laughs> yes, I'm still on my uh on my watching journey so let's go we're (laughs) we're there like we're on the journey (laughs) parallel yep i don't know where i'm going with that (laughs) yeah i do have to say though i have a confession to make that whenever i say this out loud i feel like i'm gonna get whipped on it i am not a fan of demon slayer (laughs) um yeah (laughs) maybe it'll be one that i'll come back to in like 10 years Uh and then it hits me differently and then i'll appreciate it in new light because that's what happened with one piece to be fair so who knows who knows what the future holds but at this current moment in time sorry demon slayer but you just do not give me anything (laughs) like at all i get nothing from it you start you started it yeah yeah i started it i started watching it yeah yeah and I was just like, I cannot. Okay. I thought that might be the case. Watching any more of this oh. for you, I thought that might be the case. Yeah, you. you know, not, yeah. not everything is for everyone. Izzy's about exactly. to drop exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to right now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in my defense, I feel like it's a bit of like shonen fatigue. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's it's another like battle shonen, so you know. Understood. All right. Yeah. I understand. So, I'm not. I was on the verge of tears. You saved it. Maybe. Maybe. But I feel like there's just a lot more appealing anime in the same sort of similar mm. genre or style. But I appreciate everyone's appreciation from it because it does have some really cool character design. And I'm here for the cosplay. Oh, yeah. The cosplay. So here oh, for yeah. the cosplay. <laughs> yeah um so uh nigel tried to make me choose out of some of the things i want to talk about 
I'm I just straight up refused. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to skim over a lot of it. So I'm watching more of Ted, La- Ted Lasso. Mention it again. Most wholesome show you'll ever watch. If it should be mandatory because it's just oh, it's an advocate of mental health. It touches on some great subjects in a really great way. And I just love how like every character is in that like put together. But there we go. I'm going to skim over it. Um, <laughs> I also have been playing Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which when I first got this game, when it came out, someone gifted it to me. Uh, very much appreciate that. But I didn't appreciate the game itself that much. I started playing it and I was like, oh, don't, not enjoying this. Um, but I recently picked it back up, uh, having only done like, I don't know, like two of the about like two or three of the battles and i have now since completed world one Woo-hoo! and i'm kind of like enjoying it i now recognize where in my life it places as a game which is good and it's just kind of a very funny silly storyline uh, if anyone doesn't know it's like the ubisoft rabbits world collides with the mario world and then it's just very silly and comical I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed. I haven't played it. I've watched my husband play it, but I was really surprised at like how well written and how funny it is without sort of delving into carny. Like it based games like that can teeter into, I guess. Yeah. And it's really like it can be played really casually. So that's how I'm playing it. Like, oh, it's a nice casual game. I can even play it with the sound off and still enjoy it and enjoy the story. So yeah, that's one game that I've been playing. And I've also started playing a game called The Little Witch in the Woods, which is currently on the Xbox Game Pass. And I just like really wanted a game that had witchcraft in it, but cozy. And it was ticked those boxes. At first, I found it a bit slow getting into um, because of how it starts. Um, and I just felt very babied into this is a video game. <laughs> this is how video games work. But sort of once I got past that sort of like initial, I'm not even through the intro, full intro yet, but like that first step in the intro, like it got more interesting. There's a lovely little adorable story about a witch who finds herself in the woods, but she is very eager for things to go wrong um she likes chaos i think uh, <laughs> um, but it's very cute kind of like wholesome witchy cozy game kind of like star dewy meets trying to think i don't know <laughs> but i kind of like farmy rpg type thing very fun go brew things and uh i don't know find things <laughs> um and then i started watching uh platonic which is along with ted lasso is another apple tv show and i think we're only a couple episodes in it's got seth rogan and can't remember the other like co-star in it. but i am loving this as the name suggests it's about a platonic friendship between a man and a woman the woman is married to a very great seemingly husband with two kids and reaches out to their recently divorced old best friend who is a man but they were like bffs in the past uh like he was her maid of honor and 
yes, it's like just a lot of like chaotic things these two new refound friends go through. I am a bit cautious about it though, because I'm really hoping that it doesn't feed into like the trope that men and women can't be friends because it started with such a strong platonic thing and I'm hoping it stays there. And I'm hoping we just like get a show about healthy communication amongst adults. <laughs> but so far I'm really enjoying it. It's very interesting. It's like midlife crisis meets I don't know like a teen show <laughs> but <laughs> from adults it's fun it's every it's one of those shows that I've been asking for I guess and then the last thing and I promise this is it on my <laughs> lists I just started watching Good Omens literally today and I really 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 like this show oh my god the only thing is I don't have Prime I was watching it at someone else's house uh so that's the annoying part. <laughs> um, but I love the relationship between the angel and the demon uh, and how how their how their relationship develops over the centuries of being on earth and walking amongst humankind. Um but yeah. Uh, those are my shows. <laughs> I hope that was uh, a quick enough skim over, Nigel. I apologize. <laughs> I could not help myself. I couldn't just narrow it down. Okay. Just needed to talk about all of them. We'll, we'll find out in the edit. So, we'll <laughs> <laughs> um, but sounds good. Sounds good. So, I have not been uh, consuming as much. So, I've got some catching up to do. But I do have something that you have previously recommended. Tazzy and as we do make suggestions and eventually I get around to consuming some of them. So I started Lookism, the anime series on Netflix about yes, looks that. and the way we perceive people who look different. I was going to say oh, better, let's say better because it, it makes a very good point about um, how, how we treat people who, who look good basically. And what's interesting, so I'm I've only seen two episodes and this show. So you've got a kid. I've actually forgotten his name. Do you remember the, the name of the main character? Oh, it's been a while since I watched it. So no. Uh, I'm going to have to, <laughs> uh, we'll come back to that TBC. But this kid is just having a tough time at school. He is not conventionally good looking. And he's just, yeah, he's just been given, <laughs> given a tough time by bullies at school situation at home and the early episode early episodes in the series really hone in on that he is not having a good time and then the idea is that he the premise is he he wakes up and he's now got two versions of himself one is the him that we have uh, known up until that point and the other is a very attractive version not even a version just a different <laughs> person uh, taller leaner more muscular uh, better looking and then it's about or at least from what I'm seeing so far, it's about how everyone else treats that person. Sometimes very direct, like day and night, like they treat who you were in this way and this new person in a completely different way. And I can just see there's there's a lot being said uh, in there. So very interested to see where that goes. I, I yeah, I feel a very clear commentary on just beauty standards and how we treat people differently but then maybe and i'm just guessing here maybe how he treats himself maybe mm. there's, there's some of that i don't know we'll see maybe i'm interested to see 
as the story unfolds because it's like a story with so many layers mm. and sort of yeah so i'm looking forward to how you how you receive that okay okay and then in in the theme of uh watching things although not purposely in this case but watching things that link to our uh, main story here i've been watching what i'm guessing is a christmas film called robin robin so it's a stop motion animation and but stop motion produced by Ardman Animation, who do or did Wallace and Gromit, I believe. So they have a distinct style, and this one differs in that it's using like felt material puppets versus was like plasticine, that squidgy material mm. puppet. So it is about a robin who grows up in a family of mice and is you know, it becomes kind of like trying to be a, a mouse and, and doing mouse-like things. It's very short, it's half an hour. And it's, it's quite heartfelt because there's a, a strong theme about being different, but that being a, a good thing once you realize that you are different and it means you have sort of different skills. So there's a good, like positive message in there. Animation is really good. The characters are good. It's one of those where the characters are like everyone's there for a reason and everyone adds to the overall uh, narrative. So I really enjoyed that. I had that recommended recently and uh, enjoyed that. And another recommendation I had that I've started is a, a series called Primal. Uh, has anyone heard mm. of this? Nope. Okay. Because I hadn't and I was wondering if it was just me, but it's from the creator of Samurai Jack. Which oh. is a series, yeah. That's why I said, <laughs> like, okay, so like, okay, Samurai Jack. Let me let me cue this one up. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> and Samurai Jack is a is a series that at the time I watched, like, not necessarily in the order that it came out, but it got to a point where I was like, this is a really good show, and it had to kind of start watching it sequentially and and taking that in. So it's from the creator, and the idea I've I've think of literally just watched one episode but the the premise here or the the main conceit is that there's no dialogue or at least from what i've seen there's no dialogue so it's all sound effects audio design and it starts very brutal i won't say why or how but it starts very brutal in a not like in a gratuitous violence way but just in the the, the scenarios that happen and you become attached to the main character, or at least I became attached to the main character and wanted to follow on their journey. But because there's no dialogue, the like I, I find myself watching it differently, kind of differently in a way that, you know, when you, you watch something that's, uh, say, subtitled, uh, like sub versus dubbed, if it's subtitles, you, you pay different attention to it. And in a way where there's no dialogue, you, you pay different attention to it. So I'm, I'm watching the visuals, I'm watching the the reactions from the character and being able to pick up on the story and and the different dynamics that are happening just from people's reactions and their movements and it's it's really good i feel like it won some awards and i i feel like even just from the first episode i can see why because this is someone who clearly has has a vision of how they want this story to be told and and how they're going to use the medium and the lack of dialogue to still tell the story so definitely excited to watch the rest of this uh, watch the rest of the show mm, sounds very interesting yeah those are the the things that i've been watching uh might need to next time get some culture and then read something i don't know mm -hmm. I'll, I'll work on that 
But yeah, we can get to this week's main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Tokyo Godfathers, an anime adventure film written and directed by Satoshi Kon. The film was released in Japan on November 2003 and in North America on January 16th, 2004. It's won the Excellence Award at the Japan Media Arts Festival and Best Animation Film at the 58th Mainichi Film Awards. So comes with some credentials uh, as just the name Satoshi Kon does. So spoiler alert, we are getting into the spoiler section of the podcast. We are going to be talking about the different details, aspects of this piece. I will do a recap of the story. But before I do that, let's get everyone's quick takes and general impressions, starting with Izzy. Izzy, what did you think about this story? Oh, man, there was so much uh, going on in the story that I just, I just feel like it was not predictable, and I really enjoyed that. There were some moments where I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> like a reveal would happen or, you know, um, especially like, you know, the very end. So I was like, oh my gosh, what? Pretty much the whole time, I thought that um, the themes, like the social commentary that they had, different themes, you know, like queerness and homelessness and everything like that, um, youth. Like, I really enjoyed the way that they wrapped it up in a cute little bow with all that social commentary. I really enjoyed that movie. Cool. All right. Sounds positive. Beth, uh, what about you? What were your thoughts on, on this story? I think it's a brilliant character-driven film, which can be quite unusual for kind of popular anime action films. Obviously, it tends to focus on the action, but I felt like this one was more about the characters. I really loved obviously they the sort of issue of homelessness in Japan was treated with sensitivity. I also enjoyed the fact that there is a trans woman who is obviously the butt of some jokes, but it's not mm. not in a disparaging way. It's always like affectionate name calling from friends of Hannah. I just think it's one of those movies you can put on on like a bad day and you leave it with a smile on your face. Cool. All right. Uh, Tazzy, how about you? What are your thoughts on this? I feel like we're working our way through the roster of uh, Satoshi Kon movies. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're sl slowly making our way through. Yeah, we will get all of them on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not much dissimilar from everyone else's reactions. But I just, I think it's such a wholesome, wholesome film and with just such like a satisfying, happy ending of like, I don't know, just, it's really, it's such a family is in like such a sense of found family in this. And like, I don't know, it's just such a beautiful connection, I think. The beautiful connections between, between all the characters and, and yeah, just... And I do think it was just very sensitive of how it like approached different topics and just like really sort of like approached them in in quite a positive way. Like I think, yeah, no, I, I like the sound of that, and I yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I will say that as Tazzy mentioned, we have covered uh, at least two Satoshi Kon's. Well, I guess three because we did the Story Club on his his first manga. But in terms of uh, anime we have uh, talked about perfect blue 
Uh, we've talked about Paprika. So I had no idea what to expect from this film. Well, I had some idea because Satoshi Kon, but this was actually the <laughs> this was the first well first instance of watching a Satoshi Kon film where by the end I actually knew what was happening. And I can confidently say my mind has not melted after watching this film, which I could not say after Paprika, All Perfect Blue, in in good ways, but still very much mind-bending. So this was like, okay, I know what happened. I get this. And I appreciated that. And I was definitely, I guess it's surprised the word of, because uh, when I read the title, I was, I was expecting something else. <laughs> uh, when I hear the, the word Godfathers, I was expecting something else. What I got was a, a Christmas anime, which I was just not expecting. And then a real good examination of like the socioeconomics of a city, uh, examining like homelessness and the relationship between, you know, people who have and, uh, and have not, and a very touching journey as they try to get this this baby back and yeah i i think i i watched it in in two parts not intentionally but uh i wanted to mention this because the first time i, I tried to watch it before the podcast i was just in a very tired place and started watching it and then just realized what it was doing in terms of themes and building on the complex layers and i sort of stopped myself I was like actually no i need to I really need to pay attention to what's going on so i need to go sleep and come back to this another time and really take in like what this film is trying to say glad i did because there's a lot here that we're going to get into but yeah really appreciated like this film how it was put together and and what it says so we'll get into it but let me do this recap um, for those that might not have watched it as recently uh, as I have. So this is a story that takes us to Christmas Eve where three homeless people, an alcoholic named Jin, a trans woman named Hannah, and a runaway named Miyuki discover an abandoned baby while searching through the garbage for presents. On the baby is a note and a key which leads to clues of the parent's identity. So the trio set out to find the parents. Hannah names the baby Kyoko based on the Japanese translation of Silent Night. The group soon encounter a Yakuza boss trapped under his car, which is really random, but uh, his daughter is about to marry the owner of a club where Kyoko's mother used to work. And at the wedding, the groom tells them that the baby's former, the baby's mother is a former bar girl named Satiko. The party is then interrupted when a hitman attempts to shoot the bride's father. The hitman kidnaps Miyuki and baby Kyoko and takes them to his home. There, Miyuki befriends the hitman's wife and confesses to fleeing her home after stabbing her controlling father. Hannah, meanwhile, searches for Miyuki and Kyoko while Jin takes care of an elderly homeless man who is dying in the street. And some teenagers then beat up Jin and the man's corpse. Meanwhile, Hannah finds the girls and they go to Angel Tower, a club where Hannah had worked before assaulting a customer years ago. Jin is also there, having been rescued by another member of the club, and it's revealed that Hannah became homeless when his lover died after slipping on a bar of soap in the bathroom. The trio later discover that Sachiko's house has been torn down and her husband is a gambling alcoholic. Miyuki then sees a message from her father in the newspaper informing her that Angel, her cat, has returned home. She attempts to call her father only to panic and hang up before she can say a word. The group rests at store until they are told to leave by the clerk and Hannah then collapses and Jin and Miyuki take him to the hospital where Jin finds his estranged daughter, also named Kyoko, working as a nurse. Hannah then berates Jin in front of his daughter and storms out, with Miyuki following behind 
with baby Kyoko in hand. They stumble across Shachiko about to jump off a bridge. Sachiko insists that her husband got rid of the baby without her knowledge and Hana and Miyuki return the baby to her. Job done. Jin then finds Sachiko's husband who confirms that Kyoko was stolen by Sachiko from the hospital. The three then chase after Sachiko and Kyoko with Miyuki chasing them to the top of a building. Sachiko reveals that she became pregnant hoping it would bring her close to her husband. When her baby was stillborn, she decided to kidnap Kyoko from the hospital. Sachiko then jumps off the building, but Miyuki catches her before she falls. Then Sachiko accidentally drops Kyoko, but Hana jumps off the building and catches the baby and clings to a banner on the side of the building, where a gust of wind miraculously slows its descent, allowing Hana and Kyoko to land safely on the ground. Hana, Miyuki, and Jin are taken to the hospital, where Kyoko's real parents want to ask the trio to become her godparents. When a police inspector introduces him, the inspector is revealed to be Miyuki's father. The end. So yeah, there's a lot. Is a is a long is this like over 24 hours or something this film happens? It's just it's like over Christmas Day and New Year's. Actually no, it's a bit of a longer time span and a lot happens basically. <laughs> they go on a whole whole journey. And uh, as I mentioned, by the point at of this film's release we had already seen perfect blue and millennium actress which is something actually we've not covered on the podcast maybe we need to come back to this and satoshi Kon, phil had established himself being known for films that blur the lines between fantasy and reality uh using anime and i distinctly remember at the end of paprika loving it but also thinking what is happening what is real <laughs> what, what is not real but this film feels different and I don't know how everyone else felt about this, but this just felt more real and intentionally so. And like, what was, I'm interested to know what everyone's reaction or introduction to Satoshi Kon's work is or was, and how that compared to what they took away from this film with a more realistic, grounded setting. So I'll start because Tokyo Godfathers was actually my introduction to Satoshi Kon. Um, okay, about you 10 might have years the opposite ago. then. <laughs> yeah, so I had the opposite. I mean, 10 years ago, um, I wasn't necessarily interested in knowing who made the things that I like to watch, which was very <laughs> bad of old me. So it wasn't really until I rewatched Tokyo Godfathers recently in preparation because I was like, it's been 10 years. I can't quite remember what goes on. But in between then, I had seen Paranoia Agent, which is his anime series, and Paprika. And then when I came back and saw Satoshi Kon in the credits, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, this is very different. So yeah, the, the first time I saw one of his, what I suppose he's more known for, was a bit more like, oh, right. This is what he does. And Tokyo Godfather's, yes, very much more grounded in reality. I won't want to say like it's totally realistic because he still uses a lot of his usual like surprising coincidences and silly um, things. There's that touch of dark humor at times as well that seems very Satoshi Kon. But in terms of sort of the general themes, it is very, very different from his other works as I later found out. Yeah, because I definitely had the, I uh, don't know what's going on, but I understand this. <laughs> I, what was the first one that we done on the podcast? Uh, Perfect Blue. 
that was my first experience. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, and I feel like we went from like pretty weird from perfect blue yeah to then we done paprika next yeah. right yeah. which is like all the way all the way like weird. yeah you, you thought perfect blue was bad paprika but then paprika for me was quite relatable in a sense to yeah, be I fair perfect blue that. was a little bit but paprika was more relatable to me and more realistic <laughs> not which a word that anyone as, would yeah, which is as worrying now as it was when you said it back then <laughs> then perfect blue and was like i've weirdly connected to that um for anyone that hasn't listened to that episode and hasn't got the gist of my brain uh, i have like a very vivid imagination that takes me on some journeys um <laughs> And then we read Perfect Blue, which much like Tokyo Godfathers is very grounded, even oh, though... Tropic of the Sea. Tropic of the Sea, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Looking at like, thinking of the blue cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we read um, Tropic of the Sea, which again, like story-wise is a lot more grounded, even though theme-wise, yeah, you know, but for most of that story, like... We're very much in a realistic environment, um, and I think even the even the fantasy element of that is done in quite a realistic way uh, that you could that you could believe it is real. And then we get Tokyo Godfathers, which I feel is like so grounded, and I think at least for me, it felt like it had to be. And I think this goes back to how respectful this film is in terms of like the other works that that I've seen of his the topics even if they are not necessarily applicable to everyone are still ones that people recognize as issues whereas I feel like for this it I feel like it was a choice like it seems to me at least that it's a choice of like this is something that most people would like are so disconnected from like like homelessness and even like having a trans character that people kind of remove themselves from purposely and try and ignore and dismiss and I feel like the groundedness of this was like purposely to be like this isn't a fantasy or fake this is real this is real. This is really happening. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. is that what you found, Izzy? Did you or actually, what was your first introduction, and how did you find this concept? Tokyo Godfathers <laughs> was also okay. my first, um, and I'd heard of Perfect Blue and Paprika, but I just never really got around to it. So, from what everyone is saying, it that's the feel that I also got because. I know of Perfect Blue and Paprika, so I know like a little bit. And from what has been shared with me about those in Tokyo Godfathers, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty different feel. Yeah, that's 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 a good yeah. Yeah, no, I um, I think they're all like worth watching and rewatching because um, we'll talk more about this. But just the way he layers things in, it just on rewatch you just pick out you can pick out new details what's interesting that i learned about this and kind of goes to how there's no story is completely original although maybe paprika because that's that's wild but that was um, based on a novel remember oh yeah there you go 
See, there we go. <laughs> it's um, sitting on my shelf, uh, ready to be read. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, thanks for that reminder, actually. And in this case, again, it's like where, where you get inspiration from. main protagonists were were treated on their on their journey it's quite sad in in some cases yeah definitely I feel like there was a lot of like there was a lot of like subtleness in it but then there were like these major hit points of like if you wasn't getting it here's something like very obvious Mm. (laughs) for those that can't get subtlety I'm gonna like very highlight it for you um and it's like when you when you find the baby and when the um the the old man dies um and mm. like the body gets gets beat up it's like really like highlighting these moments of like the value of human life um and then again with the uh what was it like the um what was it like the mafia boss or whatever oh, yeah. the crime lord <laughs> like we're seeing it like the different ways that uh life is valued and weighed up but constant like odd constantly as i say it like there's just more and more of these like situations where like weighing the the worth of human life and like it's making you question question that and question like maybe how you view human life like as in like you as the as the viewer yeah as the audience yeah yeah Yeah, that's true you know it's interesting how because like the city is almost like both hero and villain because there's there's places they go where they are shunned and like you said with the the, the subtlety and the not so subtle like you know th- these people stink and it's like, <laughs> like you just see people holding their noses but then they get they get grace from unexpected places mm. like when they meet the mob boss and it's just like yeah come <laughs> come to my daughter's <laughs> wedding like jump in the car you know you're you're my guest it's like okay that's wouldn't wouldn't have uh, expected mm. that and i think from each other as well um and like even there's the the you know you see the the tents which is their homes right and you see like the community that that has been built um and you get that side of like the city as well i guess like the 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 found city i want to call it and was was there any particular commentary that stood out to you as you were watching the film i liked um and i don't know how many people picked on it but essentially the reasons that each of the three homeless characters had for becoming homeless Mm -hmm. were down to their own guilt yes 
Yeah, as self, up on like yeah, self being up, and then when they reconnect, or find their family, uh, whether it's the adopted adoptive mother of Hannah or the daughter of Jin, for example, they have already forgiven the transgressions. They just mm. want their family members back. back yeah. Um, and I think there's something in there about how easy it is to let mistakes just kind of simmer underneath and if you don't obviously deal with it you can then be led to do something really irrational like abandon your wife and daughter and live in basically as a homeless man for a few decades that kind of thing when it was absolutely not it's not necessary (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i thought that was like really interesting that piece that you're talking about Fuff. i well, okay, so I noticed they, when they went back to, I believe, Hannah, Hannah's mother. Yes. And that whole, like, what is it? A bar? I don't know what it would be called. The bar? It's not a bar. It's like a drag club. Yeah, like a, um, yeah. So, and they were talking about, I believe, her husband, and they were saying, like, oh, was it AIDS? Um, towards the end, she's really sick. And um, I was just thinking about there wasn't really a conclusion about that, but I was just thinking it reminded me kind of of like Rent, <laughs> um, this movie. Um, if you've seen Rent, the Broadway. So, no, yeah, so it's it takes place in New York and it's about the, the AIDS epidemic and everything like that and um, found family, all of that. So this when they mentioned it, that it, it kind of clicked for me. I was like, oh, OK, so they're taking that theme of queerness and transness and, you know, giving it kind of like I, to me, it felt like a bit more of like a time frame because it wouldn't necessarily be something that somebody would think about so much like in more recent times, but definitely you see the after effects of the AIDS epidemic um, and how much it had like ravaged the queer community and how that was like a major concern. And I don't know if that was the sickness, but when they said it, I was like, oh, it could be you know, HIV progressed into AIDS and can't um, access treatment due to, you know, homelessness. Is that technique of giving enough that you can kind of, not quite guess, but you kind of, you can, it hints at what it might be, but not necessarily spelling it out. So leaving that room for interpretation and to discuss the issues, which I always like, uh, like in films. And I do like how, when you hear from the creator and, and they talk about what they were thinking when they were making the piece and got this bit from Far Out magazine that talked about how Satoshi Kon uh, admitted that the implication of a uh, socio-political statement was something mm. that he had in mind, especially because homelessness was a problem that Japanese society mm-hmm. did not acknowledge. And he says, Satoshi Kon says the important thing wasn't just to present the homeless problem in the script, but to focus on the mindset surrounding things we discard. These are people who have been discarded from society, the homeless, the runaway girl. In Japanese society, civil rights that the people have are few in number. I wanted to examine how someone separated from mainstream society would once again rejuvenate society. 
and like I'm a big uh, proponent of like themes in stories and and using a story to to say something not in a preachy way but just to make a statement some kind of statement or present a case and I, I feel that's done so well here where we don't just see it's not like they're, they're just homeless and they're just like oh we don't we don't have homes or what is us it's like they are homeless for reasons and you kind of those reasons are, are revealed over the story but their interaction with the city so going to the city as a character like leads you to learn more about the problem like how they got there how like as you said someone's sick but might not have access to proper care because they're homeless how other members of society treat them whether well or not well and it's just done so well from like beginning uh, to end and i think seth uh Fef mentioned something about is how this is very much a like character led story which i also appreciate i thought it's weird that this took place during christmas because as far as i know is, is christmas a major thing in in japan does anyone know it is these days uh, okay. they have their own take on it for me, the KFC Christmas dinners come to mind, but oh, right. there is actually a sizable Christian Shinto mix in Japan these days. Okay. Because, mm. yeah, we do get that big hit of it's Christmas and, and even the religious mm-hmm. aspect to it as well. Yeah, I think it is, obs- as far as I know as well, it is observed, but just not in the same way mm. as we do. <laughs> Yeah, that that seems strange to me, just how it, it started so with that strong Christmas message. But even as that, as a commentary, because I, I think in the beginning that we meet, or when we meet one of the characters, Miyuki, she's like spitting off, uh, like off, a, off the side of a building. And that felt like a, just some kind of commentary on uh, Christmas. But the the conflict of the religious aspect and the consumer aspect and again that goes to like how we treat people that are less than at a time when it's about caring for others and or should be about caring for others and all and all that like do do you think that's why he chose to set this around the christmas time yeah i definitely think that was purpose yeah yeah like uh what is it and so it it also like ties into them finding the baby and doing they're doing the deeds that everybody else should also be doing <laughs> and treating life, yeah. you know, as precious as as it is. And they mention the fact that it's like the holidays a lot. And it's like, um, yeah, and there's yes, like that whole true. like the angel, like the angels reappearing or the messaging about angels coming mm. back. Yeah, definitely very intentional. And I really like the idea of found family, which we we touched on, because we have this, the these three characters who just find themselves, who have found themselves because they've run away from where they are, and they are a family. They're weird, dysfunctional family, but they're a family, and then um, they all have different responses to how they should deal with this child that they've found. That is, in a way, based on where they've come from and, and what they've been through. So we get that image of how people can come together. It's kind of because I guess on our last deep dive, we did Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's the whole thing about found family. And this has that strong theme as well. Is uh, yeah, as a recurring theme, two episodes, two <laughs> deep dives in a row. So yeah, but I thought that was cool. It was like just seeing how they interact between uh, the three of them and how they've made 
their family while also having other families that they've yeah it definitely like I definitely saw a lot of myself in this movie because I was like oh that is that is also that also speaks to the queer experience you know like a lot of us have found families and a lot of us had been you know like shunned or you know um homeless or you know whatever for any type of reason and so you see found family a lot um within the queer community and you know Hannah being trans definitely like to me was like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense to to have this be a theme and then her like other I guess would be like found family in the drag bar in the drag community you know so she not only had this one but she also had another that they definitely took care of her and everything like that yeah because the character they meet when they go to the drag bar Mm -hmm. is called mother and it's interesting that detail where I think the first time it interacted with because I was watching it subbed and the first time it said mm-hmm. mother, it was in quotes. And then after they almost reconciled and, you know, like, we're happy to see you. And, you know, you're, that, that thing, it wasn't even, you know, money solved that problem. Um, and then when they leave and they, they mention mother again, it's, mm-hmm. it's not in quotes. I feel that was intentional, just like a, a reinforcement of like the okay cool where 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 we've reconciled or at least hannah's reconciled eternally and now this is the found family and uh, accepting that oh yeah i just kind of thought of it as like a drag mom like the drag mother <laughs> i was yeah. like oh neat um because then like you know <laughs> you see the performance and everything like that and i was like oh that's that's really cool like mm. there's there's so many layers just to Hannah's character, you know, we could talk all day about the queer and trans experience, but yeah, I definitely like that theme of like found family and the other two having their own families and just kind of like, as Fef said, being out there and homeless due to that immense guilt and then ending up with their found family outside of that. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of good themes in here. And like, what are the other, um, parts of this film so you've got like a found family and you've got the coincidences we mentioned that point earlier about there being these coincidences throughout the film and as i was watching it i was kind of like like in my mind i was like huh that's a coincidence huh that's a coincidence (laughs) and normally when when you you watch something or or you consume a story and you get certain types of coincidences because not every coincidence is is created equal but you get certain types it can be seen as like lazy so things happen because the plot needs them to happen so you kind of i know characters have brain farts and they do things that are out of character because the plot needs this certain sequence um to happen um but here as with all of the film just feels very intentional and the first couple times i was like oh there's a lot of coincidence in this and then i was like oh right this is this is intentional. This is showing like how things are connected. Because you see, they go to a place and you know they meet the yakuza boss and his son or soon to be son-in-law is the owner of a club that the woman there after worked at. They go to the the drag club and like Jin is there because they picked him up. And even to the, towards the end, when they just literally stumble across the mother of the child, <laughs> which that, that was more more comical. Although the situation was quite dark, but 
just the way they stumbled across them. And I, I really did like that, that use of coincidence to highlight the way we're all interconnected in Yeah, in when life. so many things were happening, I was like, what? Like, what are the odds of being able to find this person yeah. in the city after you lost them? Or, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's... um. It's definitely pushing the edge, I think, because it's not like, as you say, it's not characters acting out of characters, just more a coincidence of the situation that they find themselves in. It's like, okay, in real life, this probably wouldn't happen in like a seven day period, whatever. You wouldn't run into so many people and run into like everyone's like families that they've ran away from or left, but it's still done really well. For example, um, one that I really enjoyed was actually when they take Hannah to the hospital to be treated and it costs them the 30,000 yen that Jin had saved up for if he ever ran into his daughter again. And then it turns out the nurse that had Mm. been, that gives them the bill is actually his daughter and they reconcile afterwards and he apologizes for like that that 30k was meant for her basically and just just like there's just so many almost threads that had happened that all kind of came in to one place and it was just kind of almost touching away like it almost felt a bit like of a redemption for Jin like the almost like the reward he got for using up the money that he had to pay for his friend's basically medical treatment was actually getting to reconcile with his daughter between Christmas and New Year's, which is like also sort of traditionally seen as a time for family. Yeah. At least I, I imagine it's the same in Japan as well, but at least definitely here in the West. Um that time between Christmas and New Year's is almost seen by a lot of people not everyone obviously but it is seen by a lot of time for like rest and family and reconciliation which i think yeah ties into like these coincidences that happen it's all about reconciliation well yeah i want to i guess uh much how paprika was very realistic to me and probably shouldn't have been Had that like the whole coincidence thing, especially how it's done uh, in this film, is I think definitely realistic to how my life has been, <laughs> but also maybe more realistic than people realize. Oh, you think? Yeah, I think it like takes a nod to the fact that, and I feel like we've had discussions like privately about this, but how how you don't know how people are connected, right? Yeah. And how how often people are actually connected without you realizing at all, and that you just never know how you like treat someone or how you interact with someone's going to then affect something else. Because I feel like this happens to me way more than it should. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever people say that it's unrealistic, I'm like, huh. Is it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> because I, Let me tell you about my day. <laughs> it literally happened to me today. Um, <laughs> but like in a term that like, and it tends to happen like all like snowball all in once. It's like, 
you connect with one person and then this really coincidental thing happens that then connects you with someone else that you've not seen for like 10 years that happens to have like been in the same place as you uh, on this one occasion on the night of Halloween that one time in a city that you're not normally in <laughs> mm. um, and that like all these random seemingly coincidental things connect you to everyone and then I think that also goes back to like the value of life <laughs> I absolutely I'm not saying it doesn't happen because I've had like I've gone say up to Scotland and somehow managed to run into about five people that I know from completely different places and not not saying like com comic conventions because you kind of expect to see people but I mean like yeah. I'm out and about in like Glasgow and running into someone I went to university with like back in Durham and or someone who I met one time in London and that kind of thing it's just I guess uh because it's such a short film it does sort of seem a bit more like them they they know of each other they're connected they're connected they're <laughs> connected which does push it for me just just into Which that is a bit kind of credibility of... doesn't it yeah i get that i get that. I, did, I did think about that but then it's like you know when you make a story there's not rule i was going to say rules not rules because nothing's absolute but there are like guide guidelines and principles that you know if you don't follow you know things are more likely to go wrong and like i said one of the the things is about like coincidences you try and avoid that but then the exception to the rules, unless you know what you're doing, <laughs> you're doing it for a particular reason. And here is very clearly like reason because all stories are contrived. Like it was, it sometimes it makes me laugh when people point things out. It's like, oh, this is just made up. It's all made. It's all made up. <laughs> like it's, it's literally all made. Unless you're talking all about documentaries, <laughs> yeah, yes, that is what a story is. So if you want real, watch a documentary. Even, even though the story, yeah, there's, often only one person's yeah. perspective on yeah, or the human some, brain. Only... Watch some CCTV if you don't want uh, a, sto <laughs> a story. But um, so in this case, you have like someone who's who's clearly using coincidences to make the larger point. And like I said, that the film is is quite touching. So there's a lot of like touching coincidences. It's it's coincidence to make the overall point, but also in the moment, quite touching. And I felt that I don't know if anyone had a particular coincidence that that stood out, but them ending up in the in the wedding where uh Jin was about to do something very stupid and um attack someone but then someone uh has a makes an assassination attempt kidnaps one of the characters but then they end up having a bond and because of that bond we get to know more about the the uh backstory for Miyuki who we up until that point we're not quite sure how she's ended up where she is and I don't know if this was the the case of the version that I watched because I watched it subbed, so I was getting the subtitles for the Japanese language. When I got to the the bit with the the wife of the uh, the assassin, that I didn't I had no idea what she said because that part wasn't translated. I don't know if that was intentional or did I don't know if any of the versions that you all watched you got the words of what the uh, the other the mother was saying. It's definitely intentional. Um, okay, because, I did think that. Yeah, because Miyuki can't understand Spanish. Yes. So the idea is even the audience. Can't. Well, I say yeah. we, like, uh, I'm, I'm terrible with language, so I couldn't <laughs> understand it. <I> <laughs> I picked up a few words from 
school, but yeah, I'm very okay. rusty. <laughs> My okay. Spanish. Easy. How about you? Are you? I speak Spanish, so. <laughs> there we go. What, what was being said? Let us know. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. She she was just basically like just asking questions, like, oh, that your mom, that your dad, like da da da, what happened? And I think that like there are a lot of movies, or at least I've seen like quite a few movies subbed where if it's somebody is speaking a different language that the character doesn't know, it'll just say like in subtitles speaking X language or, you know, Mm. like, or they just won't even sub sub it. But I thought it was interesting because there were some times where they answered the questions. They answered back. Yeah, because from my perspective, not knowing Spanish, apart from like very basic words, I had the experience of like, I don't understand, but... There's obviously a, a bond here. And then when they did have words that were either sort of said part in English or they both understood, those like for me were kind of like magic moments. It's like, oh, I understand <laughs> that. And like, I know we've, we've, we've made a connection. Cool. I know what's going on. So I, I really like how that was done. And like my first thought when it, when the subtitles weren't coming up for Spanish language was I was going to check because I watched this. I don't know. I watched this on Amazon. I think I got it from Amazon. I was going to check like the subtitles. They were broken or something but i was like oh actually no this this fits like whether it's intentional or not i guess it was but it just it fits the moment of this part of the story so i thought that was quite a touching coincidence and really well done mm. i love it when they do those when a film does that moment well because i feel like it can sometimes just really take the audience out or it mm. can make the audience feel like they are part of the story and in this case it definitely done it well because you kind of like feel the the little bits of understanding mm. and feel like oh that was beyond language it was more like of a connection and um, then understanding the specific words that are said yeah exactly so yeah we had a, a lot of uh, coincidences uh, along the way and uh, <laughs> i feel none more coincidental than actually stumbling across the the mother that you were searching for uh, all this time just as you were wandering around the city and that was the moment where they at least they feel like they have completed their mission and then at the point it came out because it was still quite a way to the end of the film it was like oh what's gonna happen here only for them to realize that they got it all wrong and this is actually not not the person you want to give the baby to so we then get like the final act where it's them correcting their mistakes like the the literal mistake of giving the baby to the woman who stole the baby in the first place but also them getting over their own demons in the process and i feel like with Jin in particular i really liked how in that final act as they're racing after the mother because he has this whole story of him being a racer which then they find out is not exactly the case. But then part of him getting to the mother is him getting on a bike and racing. And I just love how that full circle kind of thing like happens. Oh, yeah. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's re-watching and pick up. Well, I mean, I've only watched it once, but I'm sure I'll pick up other things I completely missed uh in the first watch but it's just stuff like that when you're making a story and you just like satoshi Kon just layers in things as like you, you it's very subtle and like nuanced but 
it's there and it it adds to the character and the whole redemption story because the way he helps get the baby back is by becoming who he said he was in actual real life mm, that's true uh satoshi khan is very good at the uh subtle callbacks if you ever want to see a lot of it um paranoia agent which is a 13 episode series pretty much uh showcases his ability to basically have lots of little callbacks but yeah no it's a lot of things like that as well like there's an offhand joke that hannah makes when getting extra soup at the beginning of the film where she's saying like oh i need extra i'm eating for two pats her stomach the (laughs) soup person just looks like what and then later on in the station that said soup person sees (laughs) sees hannah with the baby and you just hear the internal monologue of oh they really were eating for two oh my god (laughs) there's a lot of comedy in this in this story actually yeah lots of little moments it's which is like it's like life isn't it you know even in serious moments there's always probably like some jokes to be had somewhere Mm, that is true and like what did you all think about the the ending the way it ended and whether because it's a relatively short film and whether the ending happened too fast or did you feel it was it was just a about why oh man the ending i was like what mostly because okay so when they were in the hospital at the very end you know when the parents are like oh we want them to be the what is it like the godparents and stuff so they're going into the room yes okay so hannah was laying there and wasn't moving so i was like oh my god she fulfilled her you know, her whole thing of like, okay, we're going to get this baby back and now I can go because she had said that earlier. And I was like, no. Mm. And then like she moved and I, and she started talking and she got up. And I was like, oh, okay. But like the whole her being like really ill, like it, it didn't really come back up again. And I was waiting on that or like some type of like a little bit more. But other than that, like the very, very end where she sees her dad, I thought that was perfect. Because that's literally how the film ends, where I just like, and here's your father, and end. <laughs> end yeah, I love when movies end <laughs> like that. Like, <laughs> like there are certain things that I wish were, I wish the movie was like a little bit longer, but I really, really do enjoy mm. endings like that. Because it's just like, now you get to create in your mind, like, what happened next, you know? <laughs> Right, so you like to leave a bit of room for interpretation or what, what could have mm-hmm, happened after mm-hmm. this moment. Yeah, I agree with Izzy. There was a good point about, which I never thought about, but like that Hannah's illness never comes up again. And But for the most part, I actually think it ends well just because I don't really think it's abrupt because when we actually come into the film, we're already halfway through everyone's arcs per se. So all the events that have precipitated them becoming homeless have happened. They've got a lot of, there's a lot that will probably still happen after the movie, but in terms of this sort of theme of found family and becoming godparents and stuff, I think is actually just covered nicely in the runtime. That's fair. Very little waste in this film. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a good, good time 
mm. a good time and i feel like they didn't drag it out or you know what it was it was it was as long as it needed to be yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which i really appreciate when a story is told in the time that it just needed to be <laughs> yeah yeah i agree if it would have kept going then it would have just had to be that much longer you know yeah and i feel like you know you could have got some answers but then you'd be left with different questions and it just wasn't it wasn't this story if that makes sense it was yeah connected, I get you. but not not this one <laughs> it is that's the thing is uh, as long as it needs to be yeah so if it if it is longer but it needs to be longer then you you get the oh it didn't feel like two hours or whatever it's because yeah it needed to be that long so yeah i agree with that and we've mentioned this being a more grounded story which it certainly is but it also has what satoshi Kon is is good at and what just struck me with perfect blue which is like we said is, is or mine and Tazzy's first introduction is just how how well sort of visual symbolism motifs are used and it's similar here where we get the sort of realism in terms of the this being more grounded and then the, the colors are more muted muted uh the the atmosphere is like gray smoggy but then what's interesting is at the beginning so we get that big or at least my perception we get a big hit of the typical christmas trappings before we move to like the the underbelly of of the the season of the of the city so we see like the christmas performance by uh, the children at the very beginning we see the what the signs and and advertisements and everything and then that kind of fades away as we get deeper into the story until maybe see some of it at the end or where it, it needs to be so i feel that's quite interesting but then also the religious aspect to it and the visual the motif of like the angel so i think again we see it in the, the performance at the beginning but then like the the club is called angel right am i am i making up no yeah uh, the, is it the club called angel or some pl- place is called angel it's called angel tower that's it angel tower so uh angel tower and then there's that moment with Jin in the alley where a little angel comes to him and uh what's it's a funny moment because it gives him the choice of oh yeah oh oh is it my magic or an ambulance which oh, would amb- you yeah. like he's <laughs> like ambulance he was like really <laughs> <laughs> that was funny but it, it fits with his character because he like hannah is certainly a believer in something i feel that's communicated over the story but Jin is not and in that moment that feels right for his character and then from a, a different visual perspective what I really liked is is adding to the realism is reading about how digital photography was was used in this um so I got this from animation the website animation obsessive that mentioned how Satoshi Kon and his team scouted the city and took pictures of everything a process that continued well after the pre-production phase. Con and his artists looked at their pictures, bold what they wanted and jammed disparate ideas together. And again, when it comes to like making stories and setting your narrative in a, in this case, in a real place, but it could apply even if it's a made up place, like the inspiration comes from somewhere. So using that photography to really like map out like what does the real place look like and what can we use from that in our story and it just makes it makes it feel just yeah just it just gave a real real feeling like of a real 
place. Obviously, Dalgoi is a real place, but just it felt like a real place even through the animated visuals. Mm. And it extended to the characters because I also read something about how um, he wanted the, the characters, the three characters, to stand out and made them like visually different. So, Beth, maybe you can speak more to this. When you're making a character and you have them have different silhouettes, so each of the characters has a different silhouette, is visually different, like their facial features are different, the way they react different. What do you think goes into making, like thinking about how to make your characters uh, different in a story like this or any story really? So you kind of have to think about not necessarily how they are reacting just to the events that are going on, but you think about some of the background, like some of the things that they might have done and experienced that would obviously sort of help them choose the stuff that they'd wear, so what preferences they'd have, because we're influenced by almost what social groups we have been in prior to wherever we happen to be now, what takes our fancy. Obviously, when you're homeless, you kind of take what you can get in a way, but Mm. they're still quite expressive as who they are. So, for example, Hannah, despite being the tallest of the bunch, still has a very feminine silhouette because Hannah wears uh, basically long dresses, but still Mm. dresses warm with boots and stuff. Um, Sort of uh Miyuki being one of the newest runaways has much cleaner more stylish clothes for example and Jin kind of is what you'd expect like a a man to so you kind of have to think about what kind of things that they might have done previously that would affect their gestures per se the, the stance that they have what mood they're in as well also has a big impact so you know, whatever they're feeling internally is well worth keeping in mind when you're thinking about what stance someone would take, how they'd hold themselves, how they might engage in like a conversation or an argument, and how almost energetic they are. So you get some people who seem to have like a stillness about them, and then you get people who just can't seem, they're just basically like a boiling pot with a lid that's like... <laughs> basically like seconds away from just like falling off and having water foam everywhere (laughs) so obviously there's a lot of things it essentially does come down to like what's happening what's happened in their past how does that affect their internal thoughts and feelings and then how combined with like their personality does that then kind of come to their like clothing choices their uh stances their just how they hold themselves right that makes sense and I, I do feel we we get that and like when I do workshops like our comic story workshop with young people and talk about like developing characters and and get them to think about making characters that are different from you as a creator and different from each other because it's very easy to make you know three different characters that still look and talk similar to you as the creator and I feel like like work has been done to ensure that these are very distinct characters from their backstory to the actual visual of them on screen. And I think, Fef, you already, already touched on this, which I feel is such a great point in the character. So we have this, this trio who have all had something going on in the past and are dealing with their denial of or escape from reality. Because what we find is that 
there and there's you know it's a common thing of like the problem isn't as big as you think it is so a lot of the times and yeah. what really struck me and i think one there's so many like themes in this and we'll we'll wrap those up but one of the things that really connected with me is how the characters especially Jin, i feel of most of all the three like they've created they it's basically created a mountain <laughs> from a relative molehill in a sense and they've all put themselves in a situation where they didn't need to but you, you can understand like when you internalize like that guilt like you mentioned it can it can take you in some well i guess some dark places yeah absolutely i definitely have <laughs> relate to that internalizing guilt uh i guess even messaging from the rest of society because obviously they're not always treated well by other citizens and mm. uh, unable kind of being in a relative position of powerlessness like what you can't what tends to happen is you internalize things and that really shows and like how defensive they can be so obviously they argue a lot especially Jin and Hannah even even Miyuki actually basically gets into spats and it's all just because yeah they've internalized us and they're doing the best to retain I don't know uh hold on to whatever like little bits that they have and sometimes it means you kind of just always in that fight instinct rather than you know flight they're very um, obviously in a very stressful position like all the time so like yeah I I really relate to because I've been very bad for sort of beating myself up for small mistakes that don't really mean anything but mm. you know the first time it happens it's it does feel like the end of like you know you kind of internalize it like well I must be bad because I did this thing and it's honestly not the case but without um and I guess each each of them also felt it seemed like they couldn't talk about it at first so we find out during the course of the film, so clearly beforehand they haven't had anyone. So Miyuki felt like her father was controlling. Her mother was too busy praying most of the time, um, which we learn in when that lovely little bonding moment, which is probably the scene that's burned into my brain as uh, <laughs> the one of Miyuki just being like, Hanya, Hanya, Hanya. <laughs> um Jin obviously was meant to be the breadwinner, couldn't exactly talk to his wife or daughter about it. And Hannah just felt because she'd assaulted a patron, even if the patron was drunk and frankly really rude, yeah. uh, was probably like, well, now he's going to trash the my mother's drag bar if I stay here, so I need to go and try and make it on my own. But doesn't really know how to do that necessarily just because she's been passed through the foster system so much that she didn't have stability um outside of uh like angel towers i feel like i've gone so off topic now because i just got so into this uh, <laughs> this thing of like yeah they like relating to how sometimes when you feel like you can't talk to anyone that's as i say when these things tend to be blown out of proportion yeah at least internally yeah proportion. definitely yeah no, I, I definitely feel that and so yeah we, when you know we're talking about the characters and 
with Hannah, who I feel is a standout character uh, in this in this piece. But what is interesting to see is how we touched on this before about how the the transgender jokes were aimed at Hannah, but and I wonder how everyone felt about that uh, done in a way that was not necessarily mean or bad spirited, but still like jokes aimed at them and. It reminded me a bit of uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender when uh, Toph entered mm-hmm. uh, the the group, and Toph is blind. And what I really liked about that show, oh, there's many things we did a whole episode on it, so go and listen to that. But what I really liked is that how Toph was involved in the jokes. So there were jokes about her being blind, but they weren't mean spirited. I remember one like just hilarious one for me when Saka would, I think someone was doing something there's like a wanted poster and he would like shove it in toss face and he kept doing it he's, he's like do you see this and she's like i can't see <laughs> like, like what are you doing <laughs> and there were like jokes like that that were funny aimed at like her being blind but not in a like mean-spirited way that's like bringing her down just being part of they were all making jokes at each other and i i, I felt that that was what was being done here but i wonder how everyone else felt about that and just the the way the, the um trans character was handled in this i feel the same like it's clear that sort of the jokes tend to come from jin and miyuki and it's kind of just the kind of playful nicknames that you would give someone affectionately so i think at least in like i watched it subbed as well it was like uncle bag but hannah at points says like you can call me uncle bag if you like you want i i obviously i can't quite remember if there's any but particularly like the main characters those we should care about seem to treat hannah with you know the kind of i want i don't want to say respect because sometimes they're actually quite mean to each other but it's like the meanness that you when you see from family members actually care for each other i also think it's nice that when Hannah explains that she wants to feel like a mother, that no one really says how unrealistic it is. Like, it's more of a, it's a bit silly for us homeless people to try and raise a baby, not you can't raise a baby because you're queer, basically. Right. Which is also very nice. <laughs> mm. I think it's a very, like, individual reaction, how how that could could feel but i think that's just with in general like if you let me try and think of the words i'm trying to say (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like what it does is not like ignore the obvious for any of the characters and no one's treated like differently they're all out of the main you know our main trio they're all treat they all treat each other the same yeah and that that is like highlighting the things that the outside world might the the people that are outside of those three might find unusual or uncomfortable with Um, and i think they they all get the equal treatment and that's what makes the difference of a joke being like a joke and like you said the intention behind it feels very very affectionate affectionate and it feels very like if the line was cross for those characters mm. that it would be like called out 
and I feel I'm trying to think because I, I didn't watch it like super recently, but I feel like there was a moment at one point where I was like, they someone does say something of like that's that's too far. You're just being mean. <laughs> and I'm trying uh, to think. I don't remember that because there was a there was a few like derogatory words being used, but I guess again it's the the context and. You know, the whole film is handled with like nuance and, and subtlety. And uh, and I feel sometimes when <laughs> I look around that uh, the world or, or Twitter specifically is like, that is like completely stripped. And if you if you strip that, that's where you get into bad places because there are things where, you know, these three are our friends, our family. There are things that they would say within each other, within their circle that they wouldn't like to hear or, or accept somewhere mm-hmm. else without the right context and and right like relationships being being formed so yeah it's just yeah. interesting to see that kind of being yeah. shown and i definitely think like in personal experience of like friends and people you know having their difference completely ignored right yeah. is worse than yes than it being included the same way that everyone else is included yeah which is why i like the, the top fan because it was just it just it was inclusion. It was like yeah. we, we, you are all part of the joke. You're you're new here. We are you're in the jokes too. We're gonna make jokes yeah. about your thing. And I feel well. like I I don't know. Like I know I've experienced it when say like you you've got a group of friends and this might be like in a group of like mostly white friends and they're all making jokes based around their whiteness and then they get to okay. you and there's like an awkward pause and i find that like way more insulting than if you oh, just really? like <laughs> it, it, we're we're making jokes about like our heritage here yeah you just stopped and now i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now i'm questioning your <laughs> mindset because you pause so clearly what you're thinking <laughs> oversteps the line rather than being comedic jest right because if the intention behind it is not malicious right you, you wouldn't even on. think to pause mm. <laughs> that's an interesting one <laughs> and that always makes you feel really awkward whereas if like we're all making a joke about this topic then it's just be equal like yeah yeah let's equally insult each other (laughs) we are friends here you know like and if if it's not crossing a line then it shouldn't be an issue you know i don't know that's that's how i like that's my personal but i know for like everyone obviously is different everyone has a different like sense of of comedy for one and like different things that they're going through where where you might be able to tolerate different things like I, what, I was watching like an episode of Friends <laughs> and it's one where like Rachel is like dating this guy and she just wants him to open up and he finally opens up and he's talking about how he got the nickname Chicken, Chicken as a kid and then she's like cool well I'd really want to eat should we like what should I pick up and says like yeah. oh, I can't remember it's like Ross is also dating the daughter of Oh, <laughs> I remember that. And then she's like, let's order, I don't know, like, I can't remember specifically what it was, but they were ordering Chinese and it was like, maybe like sweet and sour chicken or something. And then he's just like, why would you chicken? And she's like, I just wanted food. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, sometimes people, depending on where you are, something can affect you differently. Sure. 
yeah that's why you need the the context and the and yeah the context the and the and, intention yeah. is is so very important yeah no it, again just it's done really well uh here and oh you want to say something no it's just like i feel like i went off on a tan- tangent but then <laughs> yeah we're doing tangents to, here <laughs> seems to track it so um all right so i'll do themes and then we can uh wrap up any other things that we might miss that anyone wants to say i mean we've talked about uh, a lot of themes but just to recap some of them we have this view of poverty and homelessness and uh, inequality and just having this story from the view of the three homeless people you see how society treats those people who have been thrown away because it's like people who have been thrown away find a baby that has been <laughs> thrown away and then they all go in that that journey together and then like we see how the city treats them the like the interesting one about the i would say like imposed stereotypes and self-deception just because they all have all the three have their view of themselves that doesn't necessarily track with reality and what was really great is how particularly for Jin, because i feel i like connected with his story the most where he he has told them this version of the story when they meet his daughter and she reveals like you know what the real thing was hannah just lashes out at him because like i can't believe you 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 lied to us basically and you told us this and and storms off because of the deception the self-deception that he's he's led we talked about the coincidence and the in- interconnectedness of of life and how that was intentionally used to show how all our stories is, is linked and redemption so the characters having made their mistakes having their regrets in the past but the stories about them working through and i feel especially in that last act where they <laughs> complete the mission only to find out the mission <laughs> was wrong and they have that redemption in that final act as well as overall in the story and then they're rewarded for it at the end although that's not wasn't the goal but they are rewarded for it um, i don't know if there was a particular theme that stuck with people particularly like izzy sort of touched on this about how you were thinking about things after the film ended was there any particular theme that stuck with you after the film ended i would say the one that i had been bringing up a lot is you know the queerness aspect social commentary i think of like yeah humanizing um the homeless population i'm like a huge 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 advocate for um homeless people and i think that like yeah i wish i i don't know i wanted to see more of it because i really thought it was well done you know like just these very little like when they're on the bus and people are covering their noses or you know when they're in the store and yeah yeah, and i think that like it's just such a huge thing to to note especially within capitalist uh societies so i'm always for more <laughs> cool anyone else any other things that stuck with you so mine's quite similar like the home homelessness really stuck with me i feel like for quite a few weeks later quite strongly stuck with me and i feel like just internally like something deep within me it's just like really helped to not necessarily a mindset I guess kind of a mindset but like having like four like um, values that uh, um, very much align with some of the things that it kind of like pointed out for me but then I think what the film done was like how do you put these values into action on how you're treating people and kind of like a way to help align 
those values in like my everyday actions because I mean I live like live in London a metropolitan city so anyone that lives anywhere with a lot of people is going to see a lot of homelessness and just it can be so easy to to not see it right even though it's right there in front of you all the time to kind of like block it out not necessarily like on purpose but just get used to it and kind of ignore it and so I think since watching this again like not that I was completely unaware but just having like another level of of awareness and and just certain things that I might like slightly changing my like my actions on an everyday sort of basis and I feel like for me I was like I really want to make sure that this is a film that I watch you know free not necessarily like not every day but frequently isn't like once a year it's a film that I watch and to just help like align myself with my values I guess and then I think a lot of the commentary on like queerness kind of just stuck with me in a way of like just considering perspective and how others might end up interacting with the world Mm. yeah but now having this discussion I hadn't really massively thought about the like self-deception and like that kind of yeah (laughs) you know how you i'm so harsh on myself so much of the time like if i make a mistake i'm like that is that's it Mm. uh that's that's a mark on my yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) doesn't matter what i do now i am going to hell and not like just the surface (laughs) level of hell i'm going to (laughs) To, to depths of hell Yeah. yeah And yeah, now now you said that, I'm like, wow, I maybe I need to re- rewatch it uh, and yeah. think about that theme. You and me both. I really like how um, also with their stories, we see that, you know how like the, a lot of people say we're really not that far removed from homelessness and you're maybe like one or two paychecks mm. away from being homeless. So I really liked how human their stories were and how, um, you know, they... Like somebody could see themselves in that very, very easily and how easy it was for them to kind of just like lose, lose it all and keep it, keep it lost, basically. And how, you know, we see that they are the ones that are busting this huge mission to get this kid, this baby back to its family, find, you know, the rightful parents and take care of this baby and you see the real human aspect of those who are homeless. They are, they are human beings. <laughs> um, and we're not that far from the homeless, even though it felt like they were, and it feels like in real life, like we're in very different worlds because we are, you know, um, because of that socioeconomic status. But when you really look at it, we're, you know, we're not like we're really not that far from any any of that. Yeah, because they all had stories. They all had like lives before and situations, and then certain things happened, uh, and there they are. So, yeah, I mean, for me, like I, I agree with that. And, and one thing that stood out to me is it's kind of a, a small thing, but also goes to an important point. And I I think I brought it up when we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy. And <laughs> I didn't think I'd be making a comparison between these two films. But there was a moment in there where they had painted Drax as a certain type of character. And there was a moment in that film where he he had something that they needed. And they're like, why don't you tell us about this? And it's like, you never ask. And I brought it up on the podcast. And it's that idea of like just 
underestimating people, but also in this situation with Tokyo Godfathers, it was that moment with, with the Yakuza boss and just how, because we'd seen at a point how they, you know, how their lives were being homeless and how the city would treat them. And I think, I don't know if it was, it was the very first person, but at least the first person that stood out to me in particular, but that gave them like grace and it, and it, he, it didn't matter who they were. It was like what they did and what they did is, is save his life or at least, you know, get him out from under the car. And he, he treated them based on their, their actions and their deeds and not what they look like or, or where they've come from is the idea of like stereotypes. One, the way like he treated them based on their actions, but also two, he's a Yakuza boss. You wouldn't necessarily expect that from that type of character, but there was, and on, on both sides, it's like the idea of, you know, just don't fall back to the stereotype. And to Tazzy's point about how, you know, this, this film is something that kind of can stay with you and you can uh, use it to inform your life. is like, that's something that stuck with me about how don't automatically just fall or stick to the stereotype of someone is like, what, like, what do they have to offer? Like find that out and, and work on that basis rather than who you think they are. So yeah, that's something that stuck with me. So me, it's um, it's kind of I guess comes with Hannah, but it's like my the theme I took from it is sort of like your blood family versus your found family, and you know, kind of that to consider what I guess a good loving family is. So as I say, Hannah immediately assumes that as most people would that if you find an abandoned baby like it's an unwanted baby and immediately takes it upon herself to be like we've got to raise this baby so this baby gets like the love that i never got because hannah's yeah. mother had abandoned her since yeah. well basically from so small but then like as i say mother in quotation marks adopts hannah and they kind of the other the acts at the drag ball seem to be like this family i say like miyuki runs away from her blood family because she's not happy at home ends up with jin and hannah who and they form like almost like a little family unit with themselves but then also yeah there's like this reuniting with family members who want to be reunited i think it's like an interesting theme to think about like you know uh, family can be who you choose it to be it doesn't necessarily have to be your blood relations although obviously it is nice when you you do get along and you do love your blood relations but you can you know always find make a new family through friendships but as i say also there's like the homelessness issue um i live in leeds which has like a pretty bad homelessness situation and like I like to try and help them how I can. And like as I say, I'm very glad I got to rewatch this film because it's great and it was really nice to revisit all these lovely themes that are interwoven through it all. Yeah. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah, no, it's is yeah, just it's cool to hear all that from everyone. I feel that's like mark of a good story that that gets you to think about life and your life and and life in general so yeah satoshi khan is, is or i guess was uh yeah very good very good at doing that and so yeah that is our discussion on tokyo 
Godfathers, let us know if this has changed your perception of life. Give us your feedback on this episode, story discussions, feedback at myamana.com. Before we completely wrap for the episode, we can get into this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. And for today's episode, I wanted to discuss making the city a character. So this is something that I feel Tokyo Godfathers does really well. So the act of using your story's location as a character in the narrative and like locations in a way they're they're both obvious but also easy to overlook because most stories have to take place somewhere but it's, it's more than that because they're not just where the story happens but they can become a character unto them unto themselves. So making use of the locations such as a city like in this case as a character can be a powerful tool for commenting on society. So by giving your physical setting distinct traits and attributes, you as a creator can highlight social issues and explore cultural dynamics. And with SatoshiCon, I feel we have uh, in many ways a master uh, at work, particularly with this aspect. Uh, So we have this story that's set in the heart of Tokyo during the Christmas season, and the city becomes an integral character that shapes the lives and experiences of the protagonists and us watching as well. Uh, so Tokyo Godfathers like does a really good job com- commenting on the complexities of urban life, of social divisions, of the human condition in this city, and it does this in a in a few different ways. So we have the authenticity and context which we spoke about. So not only capturing the the atmosphere, the neighborhoods of the cities, the social disparities, it shows the the glamorous side and the gritty side when we're dealing with like the homeless journey we have symbolism and the visual language which again Satoshi Kon is just like fantastic at uh, making use of and we see like the the cities visually depicted with great detail and with like all the things you'd expect from like Tokyo the architecture the the neon lights and but everything is used to convey that thematic message and we get the stark contrast contrast between the glitzy commercial areas and the desolate back streets of the city that represent the privileged and the marginalized but what's also very good and very well done is the character location interaction so we don't just get the city we get the characters interaction with the city and that plays a real key role to the storytelling so as they navigate the streets and encounter different people they and we experience those disparities and those challenges faced by the different social groups so it's a it's that journey that sheds the light on like social issues of poverty family dynamics social prejudices and and everything else that is done in there and it's all done with subtlety and nuance which we spoke a lot about so exploring all these all these themes but doing it in a way that doesn't come off as preachy or even just like one-sided necessarily um so we get to see the personal journeys and we get to see like uh, the city and reflect on those um, broader societal issues. In other areas or in other areas of like pop culture, we have different examples. Like one of the, the classics is like Gotham City, which is vaguely similar where we have this dark and crime ridden metropolis where uh, Batman does his uh, Batman thing. And in a similar ways to this film, Gotham is used as a mirror to show the inequalities and the corruption that plague 
modern urban environments. And we see that through Batman's interaction with the city. Um, perhaps a lighter example is in Zootopia, which is a great film. We covered that at like way, way back in season one, I think. And there's a great example of a story with those similar uh, uses in terms of its location, but aimed at a younger audience. So we see a city filled with diverse animal species and the city is used to explore themes of prejudice, discrimination, and those societal divisions. So we see that even in a kid story, quote unquote. So there's lots of examples there. And then when it comes to making like your story and some things to consider when making a location, a central character in order to comment on society or similar. So number one is know your themes. I brought this up in many storytelling tips because I feel it's so important, but you can, there's a lot that you can only do if you have a clear understanding of your themes. And in this case, you can only really make use of the location to examine the theme if you know what they are. So yeah, really get to know what you are trying to say in your story and how it can come across uh, in the location. Number two is be authentic. And we saw that uh, in this film by them going out and literally taking pictures, using that to capture the essence of the of the place and reflect its uh, historical, cultural, or socio-political context, whatever is relevant to your story. Um, so yeah, we talked about it with the photography. A great example of that is with The Wire, which covers different aspects of a city from law enforcement to drug trade to politics, education, and media. And it's a story that's told within the city, which you can't really get more authentic than that. But you don't have to go literally and set your story, uh, live in a city, but they did an amazing job doing that. Uh, number three is making use of symbolism and the visual language where relevant. So using that, uh, the architecture to carry or convey the thematic aspect of the story, something that, again, Satoshi Kon uh, has been so good at and makes his work so rewatchable because you pick up different details in that. And last number four is have your characters interact with the city. So it's not just about setting the city up as a character, but having that character interact with your protagonists and other characters along the journey. Uh, and we see that here where the relationship between the city and our protagonist is key. So the city or whatever that your location is should influence the lives of the characters, shaping their beliefs, their aspirations, their struggle. And it's that interaction that allows you to explore those societal issues, just creates a more immersive narrative. So those are some things to think about when making your story. If you are creating your own story, let us know what you think of the tip. Uh, send us an email, feedback at myamada.com or jump in our Discord and let us know there. So that's the tip for this episode. Tazzy, let's check in with our guests and find out what they are up to. So I'd love to hear um, if you've got any projects coming up and let our listeners know where they can find you. So Fef, shall we start with you? Yes, so I'm still working on volume three of The Final Lullaby, which I think I would had started or was about to start the Kickstarter for when I was on here last. That's still ongoing. It should, fingers crossed, be done this year. Um, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Silvers, or you can check out my website, which is fef.works. 
nice and simple. For me, coming up, new laptop. I don't know. <laughs> I can't really say, but I am. I had been and have been working on a mental health Mondays series on my Twitch. So every Monday we talk about some sort of topic within mental health. So we talked about like shadow work. We talked about self-love, inner child healing, attachment styles already. Um, but I'm looking to expand that to also teaching people like kind of like I just call it like adulting, you know, like things that I learned getting a car, you know, how to change your oil. You have to take it in every so and so da da da. So what happens when, you know, you have a flat and you're on the side of the, of the freeway? Like, how do you change it? I actually posted a video. It happened to me and I just recorded myself changing mine. <laughs> yeah. And like how to build your credit, how to budget, um, stuff like that. So that is what I'm currently working on and will be coming out with as soon as I can get back to streaming. And I'm Izzy Kento on... Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. <laughs> I love that. I think that's such a good idea. Just adulting. <laughs> adulting life hacks. I feel like we need yeah. it. Yeah. Adulting's hard. There's a, and there's a lot of stuff that we don't learn, or at least for me, I wasn't taught a lot of this. Um, I just kind of trial and mm. error and... Or like friends would tell me or, you know, now with my dad, like my dad's teaching me credit and cars and stuff. So not a lot of us grew up no learning how to do any of this. So as adults, a lot of us kind of just were like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I hear that. I think as well, like for some of us, like it's not even that our parents like didn't try and teach us. It's that they were just so yeah. busy. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mom's like a f about a few stuff and be like I could have sworn I taught you how to do this <laughs> I think it's also like when you're younger you don't realize how quickly you will actually need it mm. so you're like it's fine whatever like yeah yeah I, I can do this now and then it comes to like five years down the line you're like oh how how do I do this again yes definitely definitely no but it's great adults teaching adults how to be adults we yeah. we need it but we will put um links in the show notes and everything so that you can easily find both izzy and Feff. yeah and thank you both for joining us again really good to have you on this episode and talk about this story which i understood just to, for the record i understood at the end of it which doesn't always happen with satoshi con films but thank you both for joining us yeah thank you all for having me yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, appreciate it. This is our uh, this is our model. We we get people in once and then drag them back in over and over. So yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, hopefully uh, listeners of this episode have also enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure that you subscribe to Story X Story uh, so you don't miss a future episode. Also consider giving us a five-star rating and review, which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, and also direct link sharing, also good. Uh, so we are also story creators, so you can discover our manga universe uh, online. All our titles are available there through our online store, including the latest series through the fog. So you can check that out, myamanda.com forward slash manga. Uh, you can jump in our Discord, our Studio 77 Discord today, 
and get ready for the new Studio 77 membership, which is coming later in the year, where you'll be able to access our video content that we put on Twitch, but after it disappears from Twitch, uh, as well as uh, comic and illustration uh, content too. And if you are interested in gaming, or if you're just curious in games, gaming, or you just like playing games, take note of our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is now a yearly initiative for diversity and inclusion in the video game industry and wider culture. So we have a bunch of plans. We have a number of events coming up June, July, August, and beyond. So check that out as well as the photo campaign featuring the 40 players and makers this year. You can head to the campaign website for details on how to get involved, which I will update right after we record this and before I post this so that I am not deemed a liar. But look like a gamer. All the information will be there. And as for the podcast, we release new episodes on Thursdays that include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com. And our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe. And remember, when you are next in the room with Tazzy, don't forget to make fun of her heritage because she just likes to be included. Or at least that's the message that I got from that. Uh, anyway, take care, everyone. <laughs>